You are listening to the Mind Mental Health Podcast. We are a group of students at the University of North Texas Health Science Center who are passionate about mental health issues and fighting stigmas. The aim of this podcast is to educate our listeners on mental health and tell our experiences with honesty. We encourage you to consider only what feels best to you and to consult with your medical professional and or support team before doing anything that might jeopardize your physical, emotional, spiritual, or mental health. Some episodes may trigger an adverse reaction. If an episode is beginning to upset you, I advise that you please pause immediately and talk to your support team. With that being said, welcome to the Mind Mental Health Podcast. Let's dive in. Hello, my name is Christian Falcon, and I'm a second-year TCOM student. And I'm Kristen Kluber, and I'm also a second-year TCOM student. So guess what? This morning, I went full OCD mode, and I deep cleaned my entire apartment. Oh, dang. That's pretty intense. Glad you cleaned your apartment. But maybe we should not use the word OCD as an adjective to what you did today. Wait, what do you mean? Using OCD like that, you know, using it as an adjective, kind of the little people who actually do have OCD. So instead of describing how you were today by using OCD, think of just a different way you could say it. Okay, so it's kind of offensive to like some people? Yeah, I feel like it's kind of offensive just because some people really do have OCD and it's not something that they can control. I didn't even think about that. Like definitely like saying I went full OCD mode could definitely be offensive and probably belittle and then... And, demean some people who actually are struggling with OCD disorder. Yeah, so this kind of reminds me, like maybe let's consider using different adjectives rather than uh, mental health disorders. Like a lot of people use the word depressed or psycho or bipolar, things like that as adjectives. So I feel like it'd be good for people in general to maybe consider not using these words as descriptors. Yeah, I've seen bipolar used a lot to describe when someone's being mean to someone or also just like when someone feels like they're too skinny and not thick enough, they use the word like, oh, that they look anorexic. And that's, that's definitely offensive, especially someone who can be really struggling with anorexia. Absolutely. Yeah. This kind of takes me into something that we were hoping to talk about today, which is mental health stigma. It's been defined as being characterized by prejudicial attitudes and discriminating behavior directed towards individuals with mental health problems as a result of the psychiatric label they may have been given. I think that, yeah, that's definitely like the definition for social stigma. Um, is it different from a perceived or self-stigma that you may be having? Yeah, so that can be defined as internalizing by the mental health sufferer of their perception, perceptions of discrimination. So, like, why do we have stigma? It just has, like, become a very social thing. People with mental health have been thought of as, like, dangerous. And a lot of that is due to society. Yeah, social societies. Just even with the media and, like, movies, they always show people who are murderers or people who are the bad guys in movies or in shows as alcoholic or a drug addict. They have schizophrenia. Or also, like, I know a lot of people... There's a big stigma with eating disorders and substance abuse because a lot of people think that it's something that's self-inflicted and that someone does it to themselves and that it is their own fault, that they can just stop if they had wanted to. That thought process that like, oh, they're doing it to themselves, it starts the stigma. It's something that like, it's not 
disorder or something that can be fixed or something that like they're struggling and it's like really hard to get over versus something like oh you're doing it to yourself like you I'm not gonna be feel sorry for you yeah exactly that kind of brings me into my own personal experience I used to be a ballerina and I had or I guess I was anorexic and bulimic and so like thinking about it now like being on this side of things and I no longer am anorexic or bulimic it's just kind of it's definitely thought of from other people like, oh, like, why are you doing that? Why don't you just stop doing that? Like, why did you do that? Like, kind of like, why did you put that upon? Like, why did you inflict that upon yourself? So you saying that kind of just reminds me of I didn't, you know, like, it wasn't something that I was like, choosing to do per se, it was just my mental state, I was telling myself or like, I believe that I wasn't skinny enough for what I was doing. I wasn't, it wasn't self inflicted. It was just like, how I viewed things. And and I can relate in a different way. I, one of my first boyfriends ever, whenever we started dating, he was very sweet, very amazing. You know, treated me very well. It was like, you know, in high school, but still like, you know, that sweet little high school romance. And he ended up getting into uh, drugs. He was unfortunately like influenced and given drugs at a young age and he did become addicted to it. And a lot of people blamed him for it and considered him a drug addict or considered him like such a bad person and labeled him as just a good druggie and that's and they took away all the good things about him like yeah he may have been like suffering from like substance abuse but he was so much more than that he was very kind he was very nice he was very caring and I feel like a lot of that got erased and covered by the stigma of substance abuse of it being self-inflicted and him being like a bad person when in reality you know, he was introduced to that, unfortunately, by someone, and it really harmed him. And it, that addiction is very real. And even if he wanted, to, even though he like wanted to stop and like wanted to get better, it was like something that he struggled with for years. And whenever people, I hear people talk about him and say, "Oh, he was just a druggie," like, no, he was more than that. He is more than that. Yeah. And you know, start defining is- others by their stigmas and then those people start believing that's all that they are too which is just adds on top of what they're already going through and it's very unfortunate because like you know he ended up going to rehab and working really hard and getting his like electrician license and you know just you know working really hard to like bring his life back and, and not be defined by the stigma that he was always labeled as and getting away from that stigma was incredibly difficult and like being labeled as that it kind of pushes you to continue whatever yeah um, I'm gonna say even if it's like a like momentary not momentary but you're battling this and you are labeled as this for so long and you believe that that's all you are once you finally do if you do get on the other side of that it's still going to be in the back of your mind or like the people around you are still going to label you as the druggie or the anorexic or something even if you no longer are that and that just yeah. with you for so much longer and it just makes it so much harder on the day-to-day basis to just get through your life and do things also it's just also people it's really hard to talk about mental health problems uh, it just might be hard because aggression due to the situation you know people might be hesitant to share about their own mental health conditions and again because of the stigma that's already present in society and you know very prevalent they might not even want to share what they're going through themselves like you said someone who's in has anorexia like they might not even want to open up about it yeah they might not even know how to like approach who to talk to or how to talk to about it because they're going 
do it on their own, in their own mind, it's such a struggle for them. How do you, if you can't even really comprehend fully what you're doing or what you're going through, maybe like, how are you supposed to talk to somebody else about it? Yeah. And also stigmas within genders and stuff like that. Men specifically might not want to share because it's a sign of weakness. And then women might not want to share because they don't want to be labeled as like crazy, you know, woman or like, oh, you're just going through your my PMS. You know, they don't want to, they might not want to share what they're going through because of these gender uh, stigmas that uh, it's like highly prevalent and like, you know, dictates who we are as a as woman or as men. Absolutely. And that kind of, speaking of these genders, who all can have stigma? Definitely like anyone can have stigma. It could be family it could be friends, teachers, the media, the media, even medical professionals. A lot of people like they carry these inherent stigmas that's like been ingrained into their thoughts. And, you know, maybe unintentionally they have bias and have stigmas and having stigmas doesn't make you a bad person, but knowing that you have the stigmas and how you act and how you treat others, that's what shows the kind of person you are. Absolutely. Everybody can have stigmas. As a health professionals, we have these implicit biases that we unfortunately, I mean, everybody has them, but it's just like finding a way to recognize them and then work past them or work through them or just kind of be able, being able to set them aside to help people. And I think being aware of your own stigma is like, is going to fight that stigma. It's what's going to change that viewpoint. You know, it starts with like one person just being aware that like, oh, wow, I have this inherent thought and like, oh, but I'm wrong. Like I shouldn't, I shouldn't be having these biases. And so being aware of your own is whenever you're able to break through that stigma. Yeah, absolutely. Stigma can present very differently, even among different minority populations. You and I are both Hispanic Americans. I feel like the stigma being Hispanic, it's already hard to talk about mental health disorders in the world in general, right? But then whenever you are a part of a different population, like in the Latino community, you don't talk about it. You don't talk about mental health. You don't talk about things that make you look less than. Yeah, I know. Yeah, and the Latinx community is just definitely mental health and mental health disorders is just something that like out of sight, out of mind, you don't speak of it. And also like what doesn't help is a lot of Hispanic females on or Latinas on shows and movies, if they get a little upset, they are deemed crazy or like, you know, there's such that like stigma against Latinas being the crazy ones or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's in everywhere, even within like, you know, Latinx, like telenovelas and like shows and like the news, women in the Latina, the Latinas, in like the Hispanic communities and the Latino communities are just seen as this like crazy girlfriend, crazy woman, like, oh, get yourself a Latina, but be careful because they're crazy. Like, oh, you know what you got yourself into. And so like putting all these stereotypes and stigmas, it can be very demeaning. And then if someone hard to talk about, like if you are going through something as a Latino, you know, or you feel like you, if something did happen and you, like, you feel like you can't even react or even be upset over anything because then you're just going to be labeled as crazy. And that's in quotations. You can't see, but I put quotations when I'm not air crazy. Going. That's exactly yeah. what it is. And it's not just within the Latinx community. I mean, there have been studies done among African-American college students revealing that stigma and self-concealment is negatively associated with favorable help-seeking attitudes. 
And um, I'm actually reading this really amazing book called Bad Feminist. And that's something that she kind of talks about because she works with the author of this book is an African-American and she works in colleges. And that's something that she discusses is like a lot of, she worked as a mentor for a lot of the um, African-Americans and just black community on that campus. They were afraid to reach out to her, even if they needed help, because they didn't want to be seen as, um, they don't want to be seen as someone who's wants or needs help. Yeah, I can, I definitely can understand that. And that's just something that, that stigma just makes worse. Also, I've been reporting many uh, studies as well that in Asian Americans, um, it's reported that higher levels of self-stigma were present because I think it's just really saying like in this study, like in Asian American communities, it's kind of like in the Latinx community where like self-stigma, it was in like their families is kind of like not spoken about that if you are going to something like you are seen as inferior and so you just don't speak about it to your parents, to anyone. You might try to open up to your parents or to your family members or your friends, but it's more like, no, you're okay. Oh, no, no, you're fine. Yeah. And you can't belittle uh, whatever that person is going through. Yeah. And then I think, too, from what it looks like in that study, they talked about, like, if you do open up about mental health problems, then your family and those around you might see you as less of a like you're not a contributing member to society you won't be as helpful to society because you have this quote-unquote mental health problem and I just in my own personal experience I know like myself I wanted to go to therapy when I was younger like in high school I kind of just wanted to go just like talk you know and I know my sister and some of my friends have also just wanted to go therapy like and then now that I'm in medical school they talk to me about it they're like I want to go to therapy. I want to go see a counselor. Like I, I want to, but I don't want to be diagnosed with depression. Like I don't want to be diagnosed with all these different disorders because they're afraid about how it, if someone finds out how it's going to be perceived by them and they're afraid to talk to your, their parents or like talk to their family or even they're like, oh no, my workplace, like my bosses cannot figure out at all like what if it hinders my job application like what if it hinders my career and so it's just definitely something that a lot of people I know personally like struggle with and I personally struggle with myself because I've tried to go get therapy when I was younger and it's just like no you're okay like you're overreacting like stop overreacting Christian you are fine you'll be fine just don't be dramatic right you don't want that label yourself because you're already struggling with it and just like having that label seems like even more of a burden but then when you have that label, you feel like it's just going to be plastered across your forehead and everybody's going to know and it's going to hinder your future, your career and your goals in life when hopefully that doesn't happen. When I've tried to get therapy when I was like young, like in high school, it's just like, you know, they didn't mean this by any means and it did mean their best. And they, they were all, my parents were always there for me. Like, I do want to that disclaimer I have amazing parents who are very very supportive but like I would tell them like I feel very I feel like I'm going through a lot emotional like I feel very emotionally unstable right now like I think I just want to go to therapy or talk to them about it and then it would just be the responses I would get like oh no honey like I'm like honey like no you're fine like you're okay yeah, and don't get through it being told that it's just kind of like makes me it made me just whatever I was going through wasn't important right and so just like like it wasn't hard because they might not have seen it as hard but to you it is it's your experience and you're experiencing it to be difficult and I know in the Latinx community at least within my own family like you know I have family members who suffered with like 
alcohol addiction and other mental disorders and it's just kind of like they were that distant cousin they weren't even spoken about Mm -hmm. they were kind of like ostracized and exiled and it's kind of like oh no don't be like them like you know it's you're not supposed to be like which is like yeah it's so sad because like they can be really great people that are just battling with this mental disorder or this problem or something and they don't know how to get through it but you're told don't be like them because yeah and so it's kind of more like don't ask don't tell or sometimes like you were around them like in family parties but it's just oh don't even mention it like don't even bring it up like don't ask don't tell you know out of sight out of mind type of situation and that's something like in a lot of ethnic minority groups that they share that same levels of like stigma and you know it's just something that like maybe because in minority groups we are always trying to fight the oppression and stuff like that so we don't want to be seen as lesser than or inferior and so like we don't want to even speak about these mental disorders because we're afraid like that that stigma is going to further make us inferior and further oppress us you're always trying to put your best foot forward in any situation all the time constantly so having anything that could label you or maybe even recognize you as not perfect then you 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 can't show it you can't have that it's not acceptable like you're gonna yeah you can't do that because you want to be the best like fighting for that equal respect harms us because like anything that we do need help with we see like oh no we don't need help with it yeah like oh it's okay like I'm fine I, you can still re- equally respect me right snaps girl <laughs> honestly oh. So why do we care? Well, perceived self-stigma can significantly affect feelings of shame and lead to poor treatment outcomes, which is kind of what we've talked about. Whenever someone has this stigma upon themselves, they're going to, they already don't feel good. Like they already are not doing well because they're battling this. Well, that just adds an extra layer of shame or feelings of unworthiness. And then it's going to keep them keep people from talk being able to talk about it and seeking that help and treatment that they need because they they don't want to fully accept it or maybe they're extra burdened by it and then trying to open up to somebody about it just makes it even more difficult so then they can't a lot of people might not get the help that they need or if they even do reach out they might not fully express it and like take in the entire treatment as they need to yeah, it's also like correlated with like poor vocational outcomes. And that that makes a lot of sense. Because if you're too afraid that getting help for whatever you're going through is going to prevent you from getting a job, and you don't get that treatment, then you're just going to let whatever you're going through bubble up and boil over, and it's going to explode. And so for instance, if you're going through depression, and you don't get the help treatment for it because you don't want to be labeled as someone's depression and not get a certain job because of that, then, you know, your depression might further get worse because it's, it's going untreated and it just might continue and continue and continue and affect how you are and how you, it affects your quality of your work and your quality and your potential in your career and your jobs because it's holding you back. And and while if you had just gotten the treatment for it and then if there wasn't a stigma and you know you were able to reach out and get the help that you needed, it could have let you be like who the best version of yourself and like grow your potential. Did you know that the average delay between the onset of someone feeling symptoms and intervention is eight to ten years? Eight to ten years. 
someone is going to battle with their mental health for eight to 10 years before seeking help. That's just incredibly unbelievable. That's a decade. Like a decade. During that decade, you could really be advancing your career if that's what you're interested in, just bettering yourself. But instead, like people are too afraid to reach out because of the stigmas around them, the stigmas they have on themselves, the stigmas they think other people have of them. Like it's going to take them a decade to get help. And now imagine if you got that treatment and the help that you needed when you first started getting symptoms and you were able to like, instead of keep going down the rabbit hole, you were able to like not go that deep into whatever you're going through. Absolutely. It's going to slow the progression and prevent the worst outcomes of it. Like you'll probably get that career. You could not isolate yourself because that self-isolation is a big problem with people who have self-stigmas. And also treatment getting treatment in itself like once you actually start getting treatment like not everything works therapies work for everyone medication work for everyone you know journaling all these different techniques and different treatment types doesn't work for everyone so it's like a trial and error problem and so if it takes 10 years to even start the treatment process and figuring out what works for you it can take another like you know months to years to figure out a good way a good treatment that works best for you and so that's just further hinders you yeah and like if you were to get treatment earlier and let's say you do go through all these trial and errors of different resources and types of treatment let's say you you get the treatment you're better but let's say you have a slight relapse like what if you just I don't know have an like a time of depression again and like you have all those tools in your tool belt now to maybe work through that depression and to be able to battle what you're going through and it's just like, someone with like rheumatoid arthritis, for instance, once they start getting joint pain and symptoms and their body starts feeling sick and exhausted, they go in and get the treatment. Like the earlier, you know, you go on medication, the less you, the disease progresses and the better outcomes that you have. But like, if you waited until rheumatoid arthritis overtook every single joint, then by the time you even get treatment, sometimes not saying it's not the same, like in most mental health disorders, you know, like it's not the same outcomes, but like sometimes like if you wait too long, it might not that it's too late, but you might not just get the most benefits from the treatment. Absolutely. That you could have had. And, but that doesn't mean like, you know, if even for instance, for anyone who's listening, like even if you've been going through something by yourself for like the past five, 10 years, it's never too late to go ask for help. It's never too late to like reach out. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a good, Point to make because maybe some of our listeners are really struggling and they have been doing this maybe they haven't gotten help for eight to ten years like we're not trying to make you feel bad for not getting help we're not trying to discourage you or anything like that we want to we want to help you realize that if you need help like we really encourage that you find it or if you have or some of our listeners are currently on the precipice of something happening like we're encouraging them also to get help so if anybody whatever point or whatever stage you're at, like, we just want you to get help. And we want you to feel comfortable with getting help. And we want people who are the helpers to help other people feel comfortable, you know? Yeah, what we're discussing is just trying to fight the stigma that's causing people to wait longer. And so that's what we're discussing. It's never too late, wherever point you are in your life, to go get the help that you need. We are trying to fight the stigma so that people don't have to wait. Right. Well said. I'm glad you said that too. Oh, and some research. 
Um, it was said that disclosing depression during residency application process puts an applicant at a notable, however, not insurmountable disadvantage compared with applicants who do not disclose mental illness, which for those of us hoping to get into a residency, it's kind of terrifying because like you want to be honest, you want to be able to express your mental health and you want to be honest with your potential future employers but you also don't want to be put at a disadvantage. Like, and it just makes you wonder, like, if you have higher stats than someone else mm-hmm. and you are a better applicant for that position, do you fare better than someone with lower stats who didn't disclose that they had depression? Like, it just makes you wonder, you know, what they prioritize when picking residence applications. And it makes you just, it just further stigmatizes it because then you don't even want to disclose this because what if, it does hinder your uh, ability to get a residency position. Like you said, like, you know, us medical students who like, it's very important in a couple of years going into residency and going into the match process, it can hinder and completely alter a career path. Right. Especially now that they've announced that USMLE step one is going to be pass fail in the next couple of years. What, I mean, we already don't really know what that means or like what's going to change, but it might be a little more scary that depression might play an even bigger factor in applying for residency. Like disclosing depression might be even more heavily weighed. Um, so it might be more preventative. Or It actually could be not allowing people in medical school, which medical school is very rigorous. And so a lot of people, especially with this pandemic and COVID, you know, we are isolated and are online. And some of us have lost some of our support systems and are going through like depression or other like or anxiety or other things because of the situation. And while, you know, medical school already is rigorous and already puts us in a high stress environment, being afraid to even get the treatment for depression or for whatever they're going through because they might be judged on in a residence application might stop them from actually getting the help they need. And so that would only make their situation worse because they're not reaching out and getting that help. Just even getting help when you're going through something, having that be a kind of like a, not like a punishment, but kind of honestly, yeah, like you're getting help. And so someone who might've had the same depression, but who doesn't get the treatment they, they are applauded and chosen over someone who, you know, went and got the help that they needed. And so it's just like going to go get help be a factor on whether someone wants you as a job, you know, hire. That only just further stigmatizes things and further just further makes things worse and not allow people to get the help they need, which could highly benefit. And everyone, everyone goes through different things. Yeah, absolutely. And why, why do we have stigma? <laughs> it's so frustrating. It's like talking fact that this is playing such a big role on our lives and maybe can direct our future like our mental health battles should not direct our future especially if we need help I'm like it just should not control our lives and the fact that stigma is playing such a heavy role on a getting help and b potential jobs and potential experiences and opportunities is just it's awful like it yeah, I'm so frustrated. Kind of ironic. Yeah. This is prevalent in our residency application. Not, maybe not every residency HR position or maybe not every resident application or maybe a, a residency program, they might not look into this, but like some do. And it's kind of ironic though, because we are health professionals. We are going to be health professionals. And, you know, it's doctors that are looking over our resident applications that are like 
putting the stigma on us. So you would think they would be more understanding and understand that humans are human. Yeah. You know, no one is perfect. Everyone goes through different things. Yeah. And wouldn't, wouldn't you want your potential doctor to be healthy, to be stable? Is it slightly ignorant to think that a potential applicant or a potential doctor is never going to go through anything? Oh, that's so ignorant. Like, we're still human. You know, we might be doctors, might be perceived as helping others, but we have to make sure we help ourselves too, because that's how we're going to be able to help others. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. I'm just like, it frustrates me so much. It's frustrating. It's definitely frustrating. Also, kind of talking about treatment, you said, and you mentioned it before, that treatment takes a while and it might take a couple of trial and errors for different methods and things to find the treatment that works for you. So some people might go through different treatments and maybe their first treatment doesn't work for them. And so then people stop. I would just highly encourage our listeners, if you are getting help or getting treatment, don't just stop at the one. Like if one person, one therapist doesn't work for you like maybe try and find someone else or if therapy in general doesn't work for you try and find something else because there's so many other options of treatment out there and I don't yeah yeah and just like having a bad treatment experience might turn people off to getting future help and just like a reminder to you know stop yourself from stigmatizing and broadly generalizing if something doesn't go right with your own personal experience with therapy or some kind of treatment, making that general generalization over it is a stigma in itself. And like, it doesn't allow you to try something different that can be very beneficial. Yeah, I agree. So we know that there's like a wide array of mental health disorders. And unfortunately, there are biases between these different mental health disorders. And you know, some are considered not as bad as others. And that's kind of what we talked about earlier, how in like movies and things, some of the bad guys are thought of as um, schizophrenics or alcohol, oh my gosh, alcoholics or drug abusers between different mental health disorders. There's stigma even between these mental health disorders. Like some are thought of as way worse. Some are thought of as more okay, quote unquote. Yeah, like sometimes it's thought of like being, you know, extra organized or extra like studious or nerdy for instance like like oh you have OCD that means you're really good at school or you're really clean and you can and are the debilitating aspects of something like OCD like in your in your example yeah and then labeling some worse than others can definitely bring someone down and be afraid to even getting help because they see themselves like as like a lost cause yeah it just adds even more to the stigma and then lost cause also was in air quotes, by the way. I know it's so hard whenever we, we are very like hand talkers. And so I forget that people can't see us when we talk. So, like getting denied disability care due to bias shared by some social security examiners. You know, someone with like a current drug or alcohol problem, I can only receive disability benefits if social security determines that that person would still be disabled if they weren't still using drugs or alcohol. Yeah. Which is. It's just like pretty much having a diagnosis of alcoholism versus not having that diagnosis of alcoholism, like, or just being considered a drug addict, what like does not give you disability. Yeah, you could, it's just going to 
you know, kind of like what she mentioned earlier is like a lot of people with mental health disorders that don't get help or whatever have worse careers. Some people need disability help just to live. Like they need this help for food and shelter and companies are kind of saying that some things are not as bad as others or some things are preventable. Well, like, yeah, alcoholism, to not be an alcoholic, you stop drinking, but being able, like, to stop drinking is the thing that is difficult to do. You know, it's not, like, self-inflicted. Like, we were talking about earlier, it is a mental health disorder. Like, people do need help. You can't just stop. Insurance companies, insurance companies are huge, are guilty of this. Like, they, you know, will deny treatment. So some people with, like, different mental health disorders get worse treatment because insurance denies them based upon it or doesn't allow that person to get the help that they need because they see them as some of the liability. But I think something that could really help is, you know, if something such as like rehab or therapy would have more insurance coverage because a lot of times it's not covered by insurance. It's seen as something that you have to pay for out of pocket. And so that prevents a lot of people, even people who have insurance from getting the help that they need because it's not covered. Yeah. Something that we also wouldn't expect are some barriers, aside from the ones that we've talked about, like insurance companies and just the stigma. Some One barrier that is, I think, the hardest one to recognize, not even recognize, but one of the hardest ones to work through is whenever your family is not supportive. And I'm not saying that my family is not supportive for those of family members that are listening. I'm just saying in general, People really struggle to find the help that they need when their family does not support them. And it might not even be like they are unsupportive, but then they just might themselves see themselves as failing you and failing how they raised you. And so it can just really hinder it because then you might be afraid to hurt their feelings and say, like how I said it earlier, like my parents were amazing and supportive and always there for me, but I do have, I'm always a little scared to go to them whenever I'm going through something because I don't want them to think that they did anything wrong yeah or have that that they feel like they failed me because they didn't yeah they might see like your mental health as a reflection of how they are as parents or how they were as parents when that has nothing to do with it you know or I mean it might may not but it might not yes um also another barrier barrier is like in triage in like emergency rooms it could be long wait times and that can definitely just be a barrier itself, or even going to get like a therapy appointment or going through like a mental health facility or a rehab facilitation. It's, uh, there's not enough programs out there that can help you, or you might have to wait months before you can see someone or months before can, uh, a spot opens up at a facility that can help you. Yeah, exactly. Like you've already decided to make, take that step to get the help you need. And then bam, there's another barrier of long wait times or just confusion in how to access these different resources unfortunately that is a very common um, barrier that people face whenever trying to get the help or like once they're ready to get help and in general mental health is under recognized systemically like more than 13 percent of the global burden of these is attributable to neuropsychiatric disorders and like over 70 percent of this burden lies on low and middle income countries and this is talked about in the LMIC. Yeah. It's just pretty much like saying like a quarter of the world's disability burden is now attributable to mental and behavioral disorders. And so it kind of just shows that 
a lot of things can be traced back to like depression, anxiety, Alzheimer's disease, and schizophrenia. But since these things are not actively being reached out to and actively, you know, working and fighting for to get help and get the treatment, it's actually seen that like a lot of disabilities and a lot of further things that are diseases can be attributed to depression. Like for instance, if you have depression or anxiety, you might not have the ability to take care of yourself or like do everyday common things that would help keep you healthy because you might not be able to get out of bed or might not be able to get the exercise that you need because you, know, you have this burden on you and you know get, not getting the treatment for it can like hinder your health in other ways. Yeah, just because people sometimes see like mental health problems and disorders as a mental thing where a lot of it is absolutely physical. Like a lot of it is definitely crippling. What if you have anxiety and you can't even go to the grocery store to buy your daily groceries or your weekly, whatever. Like you can't even go out in public. It's and then you rely on fast food and that, that you know, is more physical disabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing is like really big right now with stigma is there's concerns with excessive labeling of normal child behavior as pathological. Like, for instance, like ADHD in particular, like there's, there's a lot of overdiagnosing that's also happening in certain cases. For instance, like 6.4 million children, 4 to 17, had received an ADHD diagnosis at some point in their lives, which is amounting to like 11% of all U.S. children. That's- and that's like 41% increase since last decade. And so like, you know, sometimes parents or society wants them to be perfect little behavior. They want to be in the little box, you know, little good, like very tidy, very, yeah. Perfect little behaved accessory when like sometimes like, you know, children, they're going through different mood swings or, you know, you're, they just have a lot of energy, energy, different things. And so like, tiny adults, like they're, you know, yeah, regular, normal child behavior can be seen as like ADHD. And that also actually hinders people who are actually who actually do have ADHD, who they might not want to get the help and get the treatment for it because they don't want to be like, oh, I'm just a statistic. Oh, I'm just I overdiagnosed. There's some people like, oh no, ADHD doesn't exist. Like everyone just wants to take it. Uh, everyone just wants to be labeled as ADHD or ADD because they just want it, the medicine as like study drugs. Yeah. And so it it can prevent people who actually need the treatment and need help for it from actually reaching out and getting it because they don't want to be labeled as just another statistic. And it's almost like normalizing in a negative way. Like we want mental health to be able to be discussed and like become a normal topic of conversation. But with something like ADHD, it's normalizing it in a, like to be cool. Like it's cool to have ADHD because then you get, like you said, like then you'll get the medications for it and then you'll have like the study drugs. And it's like, the people who actually do have ADHD don't get the actual help they need because some doctors might see so many patients in a day and half of them have quote unquote ADHD. Like, how do you know who actually does and who is just using it? Yeah. And in different perspective, someone who has been misdiagnosed and they just might be an energetic person and overly expressive might be given you know, the ADHD medications since they're a child and then trying to be themselves and being told that that's wrong might hinder themselves and might even like cause them to have anxiety or depression or self-doubt and like have their own self-stigma because like, oh no, I can't be myself because it's seen as something bad. And so people who are misdiagnosed it as a young child, like they can be going through their own set of problems trying to just understand that like why 
is who I am not good enough. Right. That's such a good point. I hadn't I hadn't even thought of that, but that is like absolutely such a good point that you bring up. So So like you change this. Yeah, I was about to ask you. <laughs> so Naomi is a really good online resource. Um We've used it. We've actually talked about some of the NAMI steps on a previous episode, the one on depression, because I think we talked about NAMI a lot in different episodes because I think we discussed it as a sexual assault episode. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with NAMI, go check it out. So one thing that they recommend is use respectful language when you talk about mental health conditions, kind of like how we started off this episode. Maybe not using, not maybe, but please don't use diagnoses as adjectives in everyday life because that belittles and demeans those who do have mental health disorders and you need to like also like advocate about not using those labels such as like schizo psychopath depressed ocd um like not using those labels in like tv shows oh yeah and these because you know that just further stigmatizes because that's what everyday people that's what everyday people are looking at and watching. And so like if they see it being used so normally and it's normalized on screen, then they might feel like it's okay for them to partake in those labels as well and like in using those labels. Yeah, so kind of what we would like is to challenge our listeners to challenge the misconceptions when they see these words being used this way or hear them. Like if you hear your friends using diagnoses as adjectives or just using these words in ways that they shouldn't be used, maybe, you know, speak up, like say something. They might, like your friends might not even know. They might not even think twice about using words like this. It, Like we just challenge our listeners to bring it to other people's attention to maybe conversation and you don't have to attack someone and be like yo like what you're doing is wrong and like oh or be like hey like stop that like you're you're being you're you know you're being insensitive you can just be like a conversation like hey I just want you to know that a a better word to use might be this or that because the word they're using could be very offensive and further cause issues for someone who's actually going through that and it can really demean or belittle someone yeah and they make a conversation is what's important. Absolutely. And something else is to see the person, not the condition, which like, for example, instead of saying she's bipolar, say she has bipolar disorder or she's living with bipolar disorder. Um, yeah. The thing that I talked about in depression episode is don't label yourself, even yourself. Like, don't say I'm depressed. Say I have depression. Like I am battling with depression. Like, don't label yourself or others by their by their disorder. Instead, that's something that they have. That's something that they're living with. That's something that they're battling. That's very important because, like, it's important to know that you are not your disorder. You are not your condition. You are so much more. And it, it's important to know that, like, whatever person that you might see, like, oh, they're a druggie. It's important to know, like, no, they're suffering through drug abuse or they're suffering through substance abuse and you know they are not just a druggie they're not just like they're not a druggie they're just suffering through that and it's like something that like they can work on and they are so much more absolutely like you are not your condition and it also helps like decrease that stigma again and like to not label someone as what they're going through they're living with it they're going through it they're experiencing it but that is not who they are Another thing that you can do to 
change stigma is like to do more research into mental health conditions. Be aware of what's around you. Don't stay ignorant. In this world, in this day and age where we have access to the internet, have access to so much information, it's a little ignorant, not trying to understand and you know, fight the prejudices that you may have, fight the biases that you have within yourself and like get to like learn more about it, you know, put yourself in someone else's shoes. Yes, girl, that could not have been better said. Um, also, we encourage if you are someone who is battling a mental health disorder, seek help. We talked about it earlier. We really encourage anybody, regardless of where you are, what stage of your disorder you're at, just even if you're at the start or if you're 10 years in, like, we just really encourage you to get help, to seek help. The more people that are open about receiving help, it's going to be easier for those following to accept having a mental disorder and that it's nothing to be ashamed of and to get the help that they need. And I think that it's also very important to state, since we are talking about stigma in general, like this is not just about mental health disorders. This is also about like sexual assault and sexual abuse and like being open and about receiving the help. Like, and I, everyone's situation and story is different. And so whether they want to open up publicly or privately, that's their own choice and they have the right to do so. But like, if you do want to be open about it publicly or even privately to like your close circle of surrounding support system, it's important to be able to feel unashamed and be able to ask yourself, ask for help so you can receive it. Like I know for me, whenever I did the sexual assault uh, episode, it took a lot out of me to be able to be very open about it. But I understood that me being open about my own personal story with sexual assault can be a way to fight the stigma and hopefully make it easier for someone else to accept what they're going through and accept that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to open up about these things and not just have to suffer through it alone. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to those sexual assault episodes, I would highly recommend like Christian is so brave and she does such a good job speaking openly about it. I even had, so my mom listens to the podcast. My mom even reached out to me and told me how incredible that episode was. My mom's friend also reached out to me and told me how incredible it was. So take a listen. I really appreciate that because that's literally like the reason why I opened up about my own personal story with it because I just want it to be a way that people can talk about and have like a normal conversation and you know at times like when it becomes a normal conversation people are like hey actually I went through this too and just being more welcoming environment to accepting these things and like that it's okay and that's nothing that you should be ashamed of and it's, sometimes if you're afraid to set up the appointment for yourself, like whenever you do need help, being open to your circle of friends or circle support system, like they can help you get the support you need. They can help you get the treatment and get to where you need to be. Right. And kind of like what we said earlier, like if you had a bad experience with a therapist or an intake process or a therapy in general, just change, like find something else. Don't let that stop you from getting help. Find something different for you to get help, if that makes sense. For some reason, if your provider, if you feel like you, they, they discriminated you or judged you or were unprofessional to you, like there are ways to report that and file a complaint, like like TULIP, TULIP complaints, are for Texas Public Services. And so you can file a complaint against a provider uh, through the accreditation agency. And don't feel like it's like taking up some of your time or that, you know, you're doing a disservice 
and being mean to the therapist or the provider because like it can be important if they're treating you badly they can be treating others badly and so it's important to have that judicial system where you can report these complaints so that others don't have to go through the same discrimination as you absolutely and maybe just like the provider didn't realize that they were being offensive or didn't realize how they were treating you so like having a complaint against them can definitely help them grow and change the way they you know treat people absolutely and also for when and if you do seek help for what you're going through just we want you to be prepared about the intake process it might be rather triggering it can be very difficult just to be prepared to kind of experience those feelings and to be honest it sometimes does take a lot out of you just to fill, fill out an intake process because you might have to dig deep or maybe re-experience some trauma or something. Just we want you to be prepared and just be open and honest and make sure you do it when you're ready and in a good place to get help. But we hope that you get help. Well, I don't know if y'all have noticed this. Whenever you go to like a, any doctor's appointment, you know, you do get that questionnaire asking you all these questions and you get that questionnaire every single time you make an appointment. It doesn't matter if it's like your appointments are day to day or back to back. You get that exact same questionnaire with those exact same questions over and over again. And sometimes like you wonder, I'm like, I've already answered these. Why am I answering these again? But it's because sometimes a person isn't ready to open up just yet. And so even though they did go through something, like they might not be ready to answer that question truthfully or honestly because they're just not ready yet. And so that's why that like, they ask you those questions and they have that same questionnaire appointment after appointment because they just want to make sure that whenever you are ready, the resources are there to help you. And like some of those questions that you might not be ready to face or some, some people might not just answer truthfully until they're ready to reach out is, have you ever thought about killing yourself? Right. You know, they ask that very upfront because instead of just feeding around the bush, they asking you directly. And so, so you can answer it like, honestly yes or no right that's why like you see those questionnaires over and over and over again you might just get annoyed because like oh I already answered these but sometimes it just takes a while before you're ready to share that yeah and we also just want you to recognize like you're not being singled out you're not the only person in the entire doctor's office getting these questionnaires every time it's everybody everybody is being asked these same set of questions every time that they're going in so don't feel like it's like they're singling you out or like they see something about you. Like it's nothing negative at all. Instead, it's supposed to be something to help you. And it's a positive resource that us doctors use or future doctors. Yeah. Another way to help fight stigma is by going to NAMI and supporting the stigma free campaign. You can go to their website and take a quiz to see if you yourself have stigma and like maybe use a flyer and share it in social media. Like the website for that Sigma Free campaign quiz is https slash slash www.nami.org slash get dash involved slash pledge dash two dash be dash stigma free. Just want to, you know, link that so y'all can go and take the quiz to see if you know you have some inherent stigmas. Exactly. And then... Oh, something that I definitely wanted to talk about is um, the emergency responders that we talked about during our meeting. Yeah, I actually was an EMT emergency medical technician a couple years ago. I did that after I graduated college and before I started my master's in medical school. And as an EMT, I worked in the private sector, so it wasn't 
it wasn't first responding, but I did, while getting my EMT license, I did have to do clinicals in the emergency room, in the labor and delivery ward, as well as with the fire department where I went out on calls with the fire department and, you know, took in medical emergencies in the emergency emergency room, emergency department. And something that in my own personal training and what I've seen, like working in that field is that we are not adequately trained to respond to mental health situations. I know whenever I was getting my training, mental health situations were seen as dangerous, which, you know, they can be at certain times, but instead of seen as like, you know, going out there and helping someone who's going through something, it was seen as in, let the police handle them, let the police secure them safely. And, yeah. and like, because you know, of all the stigma, Okay, let's say you're in public and you see someone struggling to breathe or they're choking or they collapse or something like you rush to them. But whenever you see somebody having who are, who's in emotional distress or acting strange or something like they're just they seem kind of off, you ignore it or you run away or you like kind of brush them off. In general, people should change their mindset and have the same compassion for someone who's in that emotional distress as they do for someone who is in physical distress. Yeah. I'm just, and what I'm saying, maybe just also, it was in my training personally, so I don't know how it is in other places as an EMT. It's just like, we didn't receive the best training on how to deal with different me- medical, mental health situations, which if we had, it could, we could have been able to respond to some of those situations, you know, in a better way that would have provided better beneficial help for the person going through that trauma or going through that situation in their life. Right. I agree. So um, something that I definitely wanted to discuss, um, this is a little more directed towards people at UNT HSC. We now, we have changed how, or like our school has changed the provider, their healthcare provider system. And we now have something called My SSP. And a lot of us don't know very much about it. I personally was not very familiar with it until recently, but it is the program that we're now using for uh, mental health help. So there's an app that you can get called My SSP, and it has providers from all over the place, all over the states. They have, they can provide the app, or the app is provided in multiple languages, in quite a few languages actually, so that it's more accessible to people. And through this app, you can find providers. They have a blog for ways to help cope, and just like, you know, they send out little encouraging little encouraging notes every day. It also is a way for you to help find, it is a way to find a provider. You can schedule meetings through this app. Something that's pretty cool about it is that it's all free. There is no cap on the number of sessions that you have, whereas previously at UNTHSC, you only had six free sessions with a therapist. So something that's very cool about our new, um, the new my SSP is that there's no cap on the number of sessions and they're all free. There's also no time limit. If you call the emergency number and you need somebody to talk to, there's no time limit on, you know, they're not trying to rush you off the phone. They stay on the phone with you as long as you need for you to be in a safe place. So that's just something that UNTHSC, that's like what they are now providing for mental health resources. This is actually an app that's provided to a lot of schools, yeah. um, universities and health professional schools um, do offer 
you know, services through this app as well. Yeah. And I can tell you how easy it is. I literally, while you were explaining that, I literally downloaded it from um, the app store uh, on Apple because I have an iPhone uh, to download it. And so like I, it took literally seconds to download and set up a, set up a profile. Yeah, it's super easy to use. And like with COVID and everything, I feel like it's really beneficial because it's all online. You can do um, interviews from home. If I don't know, I feel like, being able to talk to a therapist when you're at home would be easier just because like you're in your safe place. Like you get to speak from your safe spot at home. You don't have to go to a strange office that you're not comfortable with. And also you kind of have that interface of the computer between you and a therapist. So there are lots of positives about this. I am still not too familiar with it just because it is new. So I don't, I can't speak too much on it and I don't want to give faulty information but for people who do need help at UNT or other schools, my SSP seems like it's going to be a very helpful resource. So yeah, we just make a this resource to you. Um, we might not be very familiar or experienced with this resource specifically, but we just wanted to make sure that you are aware of this resource and it, it could be available to you. Um, it is available to us and everyone in our school systems under UNT Health Science Center. That includes all the school systems like pharmacy, PT, PA, and so on. We have, uh, we have various, but it could also possibly be available in your school. And that's something that you might want to check out or see what your school has um, to help you with mental health situations or mental health disorders, or even just to reach out if you're going through anything. It doesn't have to be specifically mental health. I feel like that's all that I have. <laughs> what about you? Yeah, I think that's all I have to say too. So um, thank you for listening to us. Absolutely. And help fight the stigma. <laughs> yes, help fight, fight the stigma. It's never ending. And it's definitely something that you might feel you're not making a big difference in, but it takes, you know, one at a time, it's going to make a big difference yeah. overall. So These help- stigmas were made one person at a time. So we can take away these stigmas one person at a time. Absolutely. So stay safe, you guys. Wash your hands, wear your masks. Be safe. Yes. Thank you for listening to the Mind Mental Health Podcast. Be sure to check out the episode notes for some resources we recommend. If you're out there and you're feeling stuck or feeling alone, you are not alone in this. Seeking help for your mental health is an important way of taking control of your life. And remember, it's okay not to be okay. Before we go, show some love by sharing this podcast with a friend and rating it on whatever platform you may be using. We look forward to sharing new content with you every second and fourth Wednesday of the month. Thanks again for listening.